Gentlemen, boys and girls, friends and neighbors, welcome to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. 31 Days of Horror. Oops. All Levels Edition. Day number 13. Today I have a very special guest with me. He is the co-host of the Vintage RPG Podcast. Mr. John Hambone McGuire, welcome to the show. Hey, John Hambone McGuire. Yeah. Yeah. Do you prefer John or Hambone? Uh, you know what? Whatever you're comfortable with, I'm comfortable with. I, I've been John my entire life. I've been Hambone more than half that, so I, I answer to both. <laughs> my mom has a hard time calling me Hambone. She calls me John. You know? Yeah. Yeah. All right, Theodore. Uh, uh, so um we're gonna in a moment we're gonna be talking about silver bullet but first john you have a kickstarter that is launching today friday the 13th of october 2023 why don't you tell us a little bit about, about that thanks man so i am the co-creator of three two one action rpg and the co-writer of all our adventures we are launching today a brand new kickstarter for an adventure called the hotel exorcist you and your friends will play a team of exorcists sent into a resort town in a town similar to the poconos in pennsylvania to clear out some unwanted guests that have been uh, staying long past checkout if you will okay and that is for your three two one action game i have all of those thank you uh, kickstarted all those kickstarters have not actually played them yet because as i've mentioned many times on this show as we all know games are not for playing <laughs> they are for collecting putting neatly on your shelf and gazing at longingly until well, the day you retire you will have time to play them all collecting pretty scraps of paper yes but i was looking through them uh, recently thinking i need to play this game and I was perusing my folder of PDFs and I said, wait a minute, I already have Hotel Exorcist. What the hell? But uh, it's just a little pamphlet version, a little brochure version yeah. of the adventure. So so what happened with that was, you know, we created the character and, you know, it's hard to put things out there into the world today without someone coming and snatching your idea up. So... George uh, Geo, my partner in 321 Action, the co-creator, co-writer of everything, um, we came up with this pamphlet idea just so we could get it out there, get it copywritten, use it as a way to promote our Kickstarter for the devil in New Jersey. And then as we're gearing up to do this Kickstarter, I'm like, oh, shit, it's going to get very confusing because there's already something called the Hotel Exorcist. So that is now the prelude to the actual uh, adventure that we're launching. It's called... The Hotel Exorcist, only the lonely. It's got a, a little, little secondary title to it to distinguish it. But yeah, if you want to check it out, uh, 
anywhere you find me on social media at John McGuire RPG, there'll be links to 321actiongames.com, which has links to drive through RPG, where you could get the Hotel Exorcist, Only the Lonely, uh, as a free uh, solo play pamphlet adventure. Just download it. Oh, cool. Cool. So uh, tell us a little bit about the game. It's a, it's a rules light system, right? It's a yeah, 321 is D10 based. The concept is we want you to really focus on the story and focus on having fun doing cool stuff in the story. Then we really want you to focus on math and gameplay and mechanics. Like we don't bog people down with a heavy inventory system or grinding. The, the stories are really made so you can either, if you are a new game runner or even a seasoned vet if you just want to run the story as is soup to nuts you can have your friends and your players run and play through the story and essentially do a bunch of cool stuff you know be part of a cutscene and then move on to the next thing actually playing through a complete story or you can just take the beats from the story the monsters the weapons the vehicles that they're vehicles and you could make your own complete story out of it and build your own world out of it but for us, it's all about having fun at the table, trying to pop your friends, make people laugh. You know, our main tenant of the system is what we call fill the plot hole in two sentences. You know, if you have a penalty or a bonus, it'll be based off of one, two, or three. But if you're like, man, I don't know if I want to, like, try to roll to beat, you know, beat my number with the penalty, the game runner will be like, well, fill the plot hole in two sentences. How do you know how to do X? So if you somehow roll up on an attack helicopter in lots of games, and I'm not ever going to crap on another game, but in lots of games, you have a small percentage of a stat to let you figure out how to do what you're going to do here. Fill the plot hole in two sentences. You say, well, one summer I got mono and I logged a lot of hours in flight simulator. I think I could figure it out. And then the game runner will, you know, adjust the penalty or remove the penalty altogether based on your response and the, the bigger the laugh, the better. Uh, you might even get a bonus. Is there any limit to the number of times you can do that in a game? No, you can do it to the entire game. No, just, <laughs> it, it, just, just constantly pulling something out of your butt as long as you got a good story to go with it. I've had a player do it, and it's, you know, in a lot of RPGs, when you are on the other side of the screen, it's it's kind of a thing where you're kind of challenging the dungeon master, the game master, the keeper of secrets, or, you know, whatever it may be, when you come up with an idea that's a harebrained scheme, but we encourage that. So the more harebrained schemes, the better. I did have one player not only fill the plot hole in one sentence, but he essentially, like, kind of broke the game with the one line that he said, I will never repeat it again. I'll, I'll tell you offline, but uh, there's one line that you can okay. say that will absolutely, like, well, you've just filled you've you filled like sixty percent of any kind of plot holes with this one line, uh, and bravo uh, to that player. But uh, you know, it was it was funny. He was he was right. I Happy see. dead to rights. So you've got several versions of this game out: uh, Rocket to Russia, Escape from Point Nemo, Children of Uma, a few more. Kevin Saves Christmas, and there's a Western one that's not out yet, right? Yeah, it's 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 off to editor. Uh, it's about to go to layout. We got all the uh, the train cars designed for it. I mean, we we essentially like kind of writing movies and making them adventures for three to an action. Like Rocket to Russia is essentially like what if GI Joe ended up running afoul of like Predator, more or less. Um, okay. 
you know, Escape from Point Nemo is that same island, but now it's a documentary film crew that's stumbled onto this mad science island. Children of Uma is a vehicle battle RPG. It's a post-apocalyptic vehicle battle RPG. It takes place in 2060, uh, Kansas, where you are a band of kids just trying to carve out a place in the world. Um, you know, it's electric cars and carbon-powered vehicles, so you're not going to run out of fuel. Also, it's America, so we'll never run out of bullets, so there's no shortage of ammo. Um, and we designed, like, you could, like, ride tanks. You could, like, steal monster trucks, and, you know... We came up with all sorts of, of different fun things to do with that. And then we made a another story in that world called Mini Submania, which is essentially a James Bond-style undersea base uh, sea vehicle adventure. And uh, yeah, we've we just, we just been going from there. We have a, a found footage horror RPG, which is The Devil in New Jersey. Kevin Saves Christmas is a bona fide Christmas adventure on the island of Point Nemo. Um, we have a miniature golf uh ttrpg called hard times on the back nine we get weird i've noticed uh, a few uh through lines like the the gang of kids in uma yeah. they have the same name as a different group in one of the other games yeah they do um it's it's funny because you can play any one of our games and be completely satisfied with the story as is I mean, yes, we want you to play another one. We want you to spend your money because that's the only way we keep getting to make books. However, if you just play one, it's a completely satisfying experience. However, there's little flourishes and world building and lore that goes on throughout. It's all the same world. It's all completely 100% the same world. So, you know, there was a character in Escape from Point Nemo that was in a band called the Helsings. And that band is the big inspiration of the children in the future in Children of Uma. And if you look at the cover of The Devil in New Jersey, the Helsing's logo is actually on the back of one of the punk's denim jackets. So there is a there, there is a lot of like very subtle through lines and some not so subtle through lines uh, for the world. Um, there's a billionaire family that like just wrecks everything that through the generations is a problem. The Tanziers. So is there any particular order that you recommend playing these in? No, not necessarily. I mean, I, I feel like with action, because we we put out so many different flavors, you play the one you want, uh, you know, off the top of my head. I mean, Children of Uma is 2060. Rock to Rush takes place in 2005. Point Nemo takes place in 2007. 1993 is, um, is when the... Uh, the devil in new jersey takes place so you know stuff's all over the place um so yeah you just just play the flavor that you want you know we, we always try to put out adventures to support the different kinds of styles so you know we have several action adventures we're building out the horror line uh even the the western is uh, a little bit horror tinged to it as well i kind of liken it to castlevania on a murder train and then um the hotel exorcist is definitively horror and then we have some holiday books so <laughs> something for everybody all right and do you have anything in the pipeline already for after this one yeah so we have we were in the process of getting ready to do a fantasy like three to one fantasy and we just weren't there yet with kind of where we wanted to go with the story because we realized as we're writing it that we wanted to do it in the way that it was great, like, first edition D&D modules would be like, like, against the Giants, against the Slavers, um, where you had, you know, Secret Salt Marsh, 
where you had one adventure and then it went into another that went into another went into another so we realized it was going to have to be three adventures so for fantasy you're going to get one adventure a year for the next three years so you need a little more lead in time to kind of set that up but we already have some art for it we were working with this killer artist named zach giolongo who also did the covers for kevin saves christmas he did the cover for hard times on the back nine and now uh, i actually got the pencils today to approve where we are updating the rule book for three two one action so it's going to have a, a sweet cover um going to have more art on the inside of it we're going to add the horror rules the driving rules um some western rules in there as well magic rules and uh we're cleaning it up streamlining some of the rules as they are now so hopefully by the end of the year uh we'll have that out pdf form on drive through rpg totally free because if you want a pdf of our rule book it'll always be free and then if you see us out <laughs> in about next year uh we're gonna charge like five bucks for a rule book okay. so yeah. yeah i was flipping through the uh just the basic vanilla rule book and i noticed there wasn't anything for the special abilities because in like rocket to russia all the pre-made characters had a special ability but i didn't yeah. see anything in the character creation rules for that for making your own character yeah we uh we had a run so we we built the rule book out to slap into the front of rocket to russia because you know it's our first thing we were launching it for zine quest and we had to make a rule set and make an adventure and get it all out at the same time so I don't, I don't want to say that we rushed it, but I think that that was like three years ago. That was the first thing that we ever did. So right. there wasn't a lot of, you know, figuring out what the what the, the publishing company was going to be, figuring out the direction we were going to be taking and everything. Like, we're flying by the seat of our pants. So now, and also then, like, every time we wanted to go in and clean some stuff up, we had to put out another book. And just the two of us, so it's it's a constant... A constant flow so we're gonna start doing conventions next year and i was like all right we, we have to have a a better and more streamlined rule book that's got a killer cover that people are gonna look at and be like okay i want to play that game so we are now that we've gotten the sunset limited off to the editor and everything's in the process for that we are working on the rule book and writing the hotel exorcist and getting ready to launch the kickstarter so you know we're hustling we're grinding uh, what is the format of Hotel, Hotel Exorcist going to be, the physical format? Is it going to be hardback, paperback? So we're going to do, and this is this is the other thing, like you figure out kind of things as you go. Um, it's going to be a zine, and for the Kickstarter exclusive, there'll be a, a premium hardcover version of it, where we're only going to be producing it for the Kickstarter, so you can get a hardback version um, that's we're might have a different cover we're still kind of on the fence with that we gotta we're still figuring some stuff out but i think from from here on out when we do kickstarters like we've learned the hard way about sending out tchotchkes and little add-ons and stuff like that and you know there's only kind of so much you can cram into one book without kind of overdoing it and making things like superfluous uh, so especially with the kind of stories that we tell so we're going to be doing from here on out zines and premium hardcovers uh, of the books uh, for the Kickstarter. So you have like a $10 or whatever the PDF tier is going to be, uh, 10 for a PDF, 20 for a PDF and the zine version of the book. And then whatever the price point is going to be for the, the uh, premium hardcover, which is not going to be that much more. We don't, we don't, we try not to gouge people on prices. Well, we're, we're recording this about a month ahead of time. So when you go to the Kickstarter today, I'm sure that will all be 
worked out oh, already. Yeah. And I It'll will be, be <laughs> pledging for the hardback. Because, uh, as we all know, I have a problem. So listen, we'll put the link. Me and Steve. his club of dead trees. We'll put the link to that Kickstarter in the show notes. Appreciate it. So let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about Silver Bullet. And we're back. Joining me now to talk about Silver Bullet is John Hambo McGuire from the Vintage RPG Podcast. John, when I mentioned the idea of coming on the show, you instantly picked Silver Bullet. Yeah. So tell me, tell me why why that is. I, I had it on my list. I was planning to do it with somebody, but you grabbed it so, without even seeing the list. You know, it's werewolf movies are interesting, and I, and I love werewolves. I think werewolves one of my favorite monsters. However, I don't know that they get a lot of do like a vampire does. They're always kind of like, you know, second fiddle to a vampire. There's been so many different vampire movies. There's, there's not been enough, I think, really great werewolf movies. Like you have American Werewolf in London. You have Silver Bullet, The Howling, the first one. You have Dog Soldiers. Uh, if anyone remembers that, that was a pretty uh, pretty good werewolf flick. Um, but they, they always kind of get the, the short end of the stick when it comes to, to horror. Um, and they've also had some very bad werewolf movies as well. I love horror movies. I love kid adventures. And I think, and you know, I love the idea of Stephen King and the idea that Stephen King comes up with. So for me, uh, having a, a horror movie that's legitimately still kind of a kid adventure married together in Silver Bullet was so appealing. And... You know, it's, it's one of the Stephen King books that I finished because it's very short. <laughs> I used to have, uh, I'm not sure if there's more than one version. I had an illustrated version. It was kind of a trade yeah, paperback. I, yeah, I just actually picked one of those up. I was, uh, where I live in New Jersey, there's uh, the AMC theater. I usually go to to watch movies and there's a Barnes and Noble that's like a minute and a half walk from where the AMC is in the complex. So sometimes... Before the movies, uh, me and my buddies will go and we'll just kind of dick around in, in Barnes and Nobles. And I was like, man, you know what? I, I don't think I have a copy of anymore. Silver Bullet. So I went in there and I, I bought it right off the shelf. I want to say it was like 20 bucks. And it's the uh, the Bernie Wrightson Illustrated Edition um, mm -hmm. of the soft cover. And now th there have been other versions of it. There's been like, you know, original printings, several printings later. They I think they did a Kickstarter like a few years back. Which, like, pre-pandemic, a few years back, might have been, like, 2018, 2017, who knows. But um, where there's, like, premium lithographs and things like that. But, you know, Bernie Wrightson, if you are listening to this now and you're not familiar with Bernie Wrightson, run, don't walk to the internet and, like, look up the art that Bernie Wrightson did. If you're a horror fan, this is going to be uh, the shit that's going to make you smile this weekend. And it's just... <laughs> one of my favorite werewolves that I've ever seen, you know? So I have an autographed copy of his Frankenstein. Oh, I am jealous <laughs> on levels. You will never comprehend. That is so cool. <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's do some stats here. It is written by Stephen King based on his novella cycle of the werewolf directed by Dan Atias 
and Don Coscarelli. Don is uncredited yeah. because there was production issues and he quit partway through. It is from October 11th, 1985. 95 minutes in color in English. Budget was $7 million. Box office, 12.4. And it says here, or 5.4 million. So I don't know what that's about. Maybe the 12 is worldwide and the five worldwide. is just is just the U.S. The cast is Gary Busey as Uncle Red. Everett McGill as Reverend Lowe, Corey Haim as Marty Coslow, which my brain keeps reading as Coleslaw. Yep. Megan Follows as Jane Coslaw. Terry O'Quinn as Sheriff Joe Holler. Bill Smitrovich as Andy Fairton. Robin Groves as Nan Coslaw. Leon Russum as Bob Coslaw, Lawrence Tierney as Owen Knopfler, Kent Broadhurst as Herb Kincaid, Heather Simmons as Tammy Stroomfeller, James A. Bafico as Milt Stroomfeller. In addition, Joe Wright plays Bradley Kincaid, Marty's best friend, while Tova Feldshaw provides the narration as the voice of the adult Jane. That's from Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. So, uh, I just checked Box Office Mojo. I think back then, there were some movies that they just didn't show worldwide. So, it opened to a 4 to a $5 million opening. $12 million was the total the total nut for the movie. So, I mean, for back then, that's actually not bad. Um, you know, you mentioned Don Coscarelli, who had made the one of the single best horror movies ever made, Phantasm. Hands down. Uh, so... People were known to quit directing movies back then, just like, uh, you know, the alleged story of Toby Hooper and Spielberg butting heads on the set of Poltergeist. So mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because I uh, oddly enough, the guy who directed and I'm doing air quotes here, Silver Bullet was a second assistant director for E.T. And he's worked with Spielberg before. So it's it's got it definitely has that. And I think, you know, you you you. You may agree with me on this. It's often hard to see a movie that a director leaves halfway through come to fruition in a way that it's still watchable and just doesn't feel like we just slap these two pieces of meat together so we can get this sandwich out to the customer and get it across the finish line. But um, you definitely have with Silver Bullet this rare, you know, cocktail of it feels like a Don Coscarelli movie as if Don Coscarelli was making a Spielberg movie because you have these two different visions kind of coming together doing the thing well it all worked i mean if i had known i it wouldn't be obvious to me that it had two different directors exactly i didn't know like till very recently and not just like right now when you just told me but like very recently (laughs) uh yeah the uh, the movie that is most obvious to me although not to everybody that that's the situation is uh Greystoke, the legend of Tarzan, because oh. the first half of the movie is a pretty faithful adaptation of the book, and then the second half of the movie is not. Yeah. And yeah. that is due to a production change partway through. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> this movie, apparently, Busey uh, kind of did two takes of most of his scenes where he would do the script and then he would improvise. And they liked his improvisations. 
more. So most of the scenes, they, they kept his, his improvised version, which as I was watching it, I suspected that he, he was doing some improvising. And cocaine. This guy, probably, yeah. This guy is on his third divorce when we meet him at the beginning of the movie. I'm like, who keeps marrying this clown? Yeah, that's exactly uh, what I thought. I believe in the novella, We don't we go through the whole calendar? Yeah, we go through the calendar. Book? But uh, we don't get all the way through the whole year. In uh, You know, it's definitely interesting, man, because... The uncle, you know, Gary Busey feels very much like a Stephen King character, you know, like uh -huh. even with, with Gary Busey going wild, you know, when you, when you get some of these characters, you're like, this is like, I'd be granted, I, I don't want to get dragged. So I'm not going to refer to com compare him to like a Jack Torrance, but like, there's always these like somewhat eccentric male characters that just aren't right. You know, there's something that's just... <laughs> just off about them and i think that like you know gary Busey, utah give it too um just whether whether he intends to or not just brings that kind of manic energy which is what the character needed because there was also like this really like weird oddly like sympathetic darkness to the character because you're just like you know we've got family like that where you're just like that's just that's my uncle who just you know can't get it out of his own way and like my mom is constantly like, you know, convincing dad to be like, hey, you know, he's my brother. He's my brother. And dad's like, oh my God. And I thought the mother-in-law was bad. Yeah. I, uh, I had an uncle like that. Yeah. The kids, we kids all loved him, but, uh, he was a bit of a frustration to, to my parents. Yeah. Yeah. The, every, every family's got him. Our, our boy hero is a little unusual in that he is in a wheelchair yeah. And his uncle <laughs> builds him basically a motorcycle version of a wheelchair. Much that surprisingly his, his parents his parents don't seem to have much of a problem with. They try to. And then they're just like, oh, whatever. It's <laughs> you know, uh, you know, Uncle Gary getting wasted on nips in the garage like Yeah. There's some conflict early on with the um, people thinking the mother is a little overprotective, but then he just gets on this damn. Well, he's already got a, a kind of crappier version of it in the beginning of the movie, a gas-powered chair that he takes to and from school. But then the uncle shows up with just this straight-up motorcycle. Yeah, like legit, like that. You know, and it's like one of those things where, like, you know, you you look at like. You know, grow up in the 80s, like, we had things like Mask and, like, the vehicles that would, like, change and do stuff. And, like, you know, they would combine mm -hmm. to form other things. And then you're like, yeah, this this kid who has, like, this powered wheelchair now, like, like rolls into this, this steel chariot that gives him, like, the power of, like, a real motorcycle. And you're just like, this is both the most ridiculous and coolest shit I've ever seen yeah. in my life, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's got two flags on it, so it's safe. Oh, exactly, exactly. It's I mean, got that's those how they two, two little orange safety triangle flags on it to let the so the cars can be sure to see it if he's yeah. if he's a little too low in their field of vision. Don't you wear a helmet? Uh, you have two flags. Yeah. yeah, he does not have a helmet at all. But nobody was wearing bicycle helmets back then. That was not yeah. a thing yet. 
because you got to wear that just to be on a reg- on a regular old bicycle these days. Never mind a, a motorcycle. I remember when I was I don't know I wanted to say I was like fifteen when they came out with like helmet laws in New Jersey for kids, and I was like, bro, I'm fifteen. No, you know. But then, like, you know, I'm older and I'm getting on a beach cruiser at the beach. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to get a helmet. You know, <laughs> they were absolutely not a thing at all when I was a when I was a kid. Yeah, not at all. No, or roller skates either. No, no helmets for roller skates. No knee pads for any of that. No knee pads. Yeah. Now, you do hear some people my age uh, engage in the uh, survivor fallacy because <laughs> they're like, oh, we had lawn darts and we had metal tonka trucks and we didn't have any helmets and everything and we're fine i'm like yes because you survived the ones yeah who weren't fine aren't here to brag about it yeah you, you, you don't see the essential oh, flaw in your reasoning there yeah yeah there's definitely a two sides to that argument but yeah i mean <laughs> i don't know i i think i think now it's it's it's, it's good the way that they're like, all right, maybe it's better that our kids are wearing like, you know, elbow pads and knee pads and like, you know, being like a little more protective of like, you know, what the kids get to play with. Cause like, you know, whoever thought lawn darts was a good idea, took the money and run clearly <laughs> because, you know, I'd roll up to someone's party people are drinking and there's lawn darts and I'm like, I'm leaving. Like, you know, yeah. if I, if I go to your basement and you guys are snorting drugs and throwing ninja stars, I'm out. If I walk up to your house and there's, you know, empty beer cans on the front lawn and some lawn darts, I am equally running away um, as fast as I can because it's just a bad idea. It's a recipe for disaster. Yep. Yep. Uh, Is there any particular part of this movie that stands out to you? Any favorite scenes? When he's going through the garage is just kind of, you know, I mean, uh, when the uh, sister's going through the garage, it's just like Uh, harrowing. uh Uh-huh. It's like full of bottles. It's just, you know, she, she takes the, the bottles over and like this, it's, it's just a constant, like you, you in your brain, like no matter what sounds are going to make on the screen, right. You're like, your tension is up because you're like, there's no way those bottles aren't going to clink and clank, you know? And if you just brush up against anything, it's going to be bottles clinking and clanking against bottles. Like there's, there's, the stealth check that you would need to get through, you know, the, from the garage door to the back of the garage, it's like, you know, forget it. You know, you'd have to be like a living shadow, you know, or at least like a black belt. But yeah, I mean, the, it's one of my my favorite scenes in a movie for as as like as much as like you know, I do enjoy a jump scare and things like that, but it's it's one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is just like that pressure cooker moment where no matter what happens, cat jumps out of there, kid gets snagged, you know, they they turn and there's like a bloody mask somewhere. It doesn't matter in that scenario where you know at any turn sound is going to get made and people are going to get alerted. I love that. I love it. And it gets my, my, my blood pressure is just up talking about it right now. And then Everett McGill, like scary, even without the eye patch, you know, <laughs> this kid shoots the werewolf in the eye twice. Once in each eye. Yeah. He's, he's yeah. got some, uh, either great aim or just incredible luck. Just right in the eye. 
I just wanted him to, at the end, go, Ah, oh, my other eye. I can't see I like the relationship between the brother and sister. I think it's interesting that it's the sister that's doing the narration. Uh, I like the Catholicism of the film. The, uh, the priest's justification for why it was okay for him to kill that one woman. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, like, fucking love it. it, it and it's... And it really does speak to the kind of the mental gymnastics that people around that time would would do, like just for anything, you know, like, you know, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, you had a very specific level of, you know, not in my backyard or like, well, this is this is why it's OK to do X and finding a way to kind of like bob and weave your way to like, it's not not even so much like convincing yourself anymore why it was okay it's like convincing other people so then you know that you've convinced yourself properly uh so good so good so this is what i i've been in preparations for this month i've been watching a lot of werewolf movies most of them i've seen before but it really brings things into focus and this is what i call a type two werewolf movie type there's three basic types that i've noticed so far uh, type one is somebody gets bit by a werewolf and has to deal with it and probably ends up dead at the end. Yep. Type two is there's a werewolf among us and we need to figure out who it is. So the protagonist is not the werewolf. It's the werewolf hunter. Uh, sometimes there's a mixture of the two in that the person who's bit has to figure out who it was that bit him. And then type three is the secret life of werewolves, where there's a whole werewolf society and we're getting introduced to it and shown around it. And there's all these rules and shit. And there's usually alphas and mates and all kinds of crazy nonsense. So the, the but uh, it surprised me how early in the film we identified the werewolf among us. I love that. I think that like, like of the three, that you you're talking about right I, I definitely like the the mystery aspect of the werewolf among us but i also appreciate how when you know early on who the werewolf is it's fun to watch people kind of catch up to where you are you know kind of watching over you're uh -huh. like essentially you're, now you're watching over their shoulder in a way and uh well let me ask you this of all the movie werewolves which is your favorite movie werewolf uh my favorite is the wolfman Lon Chaney Jr., the Wolfman. So mine is a Wolfman from the Monster Squad. Like, I think that is, like, to me, the perfect, <laughs> perfect Wolfman, you know? And not just because he's got nards, but because, I was like, just going to say that. I was going to say yeah. that exact thing. <laughs> Aesthetically and in, in in actuality in the movie, like, as, as he's acting, like, you know, he really plays into the whole cursed aspect of it. And then it's just, it just looks so cool. Um... <laughs> My co-host, Honeybee, was not familiar with Monster Squad and was very confused when she stumbled across a movie. She was looking for The Wolfman and the remake, and she stumbled across a movie called Wolfman's Got Nards. Yeah. I had to, I had to explain it's a documentary about the Monster Squad. Personally, I prefer the original Monster Squad, the Saturday morning version. Oh, yeah. Where, the, where there are wax figures who are solve crimes wax figures coming to life to solve crimes you gotta love it yep uh i've been meaning to run a uh 
role-playing game based on that. So. See, that would be fun. That would be super fun. That came up last year with someone who had made a game that would be perfect for that. But there's multiple games you could use for it. Right. Well, uh, I think now we've come to the time where we rate the movie. And this year we're using a moon-based rating system. So we've got a new moon, half uh, new moon, quarter moon, half moon, three quarters, or full moon. How how full is this movie? How full is the moon of this movie for you? I'm gonna give it three quarters. I'm gonna give it. uh, It's not a perfect werewolf movie, but it's a really truly great one. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, I can't remember what I rated it before. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a full moon today. I may have rated it. Uh, four out of five in the past, but today I'm giving it a full moon. Corey Haim, of course, will go on to fight vampires later. One of the best vampire movies ever made, hands yeah. down. Yeah, and I always wanted to see them fight the werewolves on the city council in the sequel, but that didn't happen. Never happened. Yeah, that would have been great. Uh, so that's uh, that's four from John and a five from me, basically, folks. For those of you keeping score uh john thank you so much for joining us here today my absolute pleasure thank you make sure you check out that kickstarter folks i know i will be we'll be back again tomorrow with another werewolf movie uh i haven't put them all in order yet so i can't tell you what it is you'll just have to find out it'll be a nice pleasant surprise for you until then i have been precious d Remember to keep calm and take shelter in basements. Please don't misuse science. We won't see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Fun Time Go. You've been listening to Monster Movie Fun Time Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato folk rock punk featuring Lita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg. No, no, no.